Hello, I'm Mary, and you're listening to First Pages Readings. In this podcast, I explore reading and celebrate books as cultural messengers. Each episode, I'll read from three books of either fiction, nonfiction, young adult, middle grade, or poetry. Hello and welcome to First Pages Readings, Episode 22, and thanks for joining me. Today I'll be reading from three nonfiction books. Let's get started. Today's first book is The Road from Kurain by Jill Kirkonway. I love this book for the sheer beauty of its writing. The author's journey from her Australian home, her sense of purpose, and the trajectory of her life is a compelling story. This autobiography is difficult to put down. The first page of The Road from Kurain. As always, any mispronunciations are unintentional. The West The western plains of New South Wales are grasslands. Their vast expanse flows for many hundreds of miles, beyond the Lachlan and Murrumbidgee rivers, until the desert takes over and sweeps inland to the dead heart of the continent. In a good season, if the eyes are turned to the earth on those plains, they see a tapestry of delicate life. Not the luxuriant design of a book of hours by any means, but a tapestry nonetheless, designed by a spare, modern artist. What grows there hugs the earth firmly, with its extended system of roots, above which the plant life is delicate but determined. After rain, there is an explosion of growth. Nut-flavored green grass puts up the thinnest of green spears. Wild grains appear. Grains which develop bleach gold ears as they ripen. Purple desert peas weave through the green and gold, and bright yellow bachelor's buttons cover acres at a time, like fields planted with mustard. Closest to the earth is trefoil clover, whose tiny, vivid green leaves and bright flowers creep along the ground in spring, to be replaced by a harvest of seed-filled burrs in autumn, burrs which store within them the energy of the sun as concentrated protein. At the edges of pans of clay, where the topsoil has eroded, live waxy succulents, bearing bright pink and purple blooms, spreading like splashes of paint dropped in widening circles on the earth. Today's second book is A Devil's Chaplain by Richard Dawkins. This is a collection of essays by a person of science at the top of their game. The book addresses subjects like the nature of truth and information, for example, and the author questions us about believing and reminds us to remain curious. This is dedicated to Richard Emery, who introduced me to Dawkins' writing. The First Page of a Devil's Chaplain Darwin was less than half-joking when he coined the phrase Devil's Chaplain, in a letter to his friend Hooker in 1856. What a book a devil's chaplain might write on the clumsy, wasteful, blundering low, and horribly cruel works of nature. A process of trial and error, completely unplanned and on the massive scale of natural selection, can be expected to be clumsy, wasteful, and blundering. Of waste, there is no doubt. As I have put it before, The racing elegance of cheetahs and gazelles is bought at huge cost in blood and the suffering of countless antecedents on both sides. Clumsy and blundering, though the process undoubtedly is, 
its results are opposite. There is nothing clumsy about a swallow, nothing blundering about a shark. What is clumsy and blundering, by the standards of human drawing boards, is the Darwinian algorithm that led to their evolution. As for cruelty, here is Darwin again in a letter to Asa Gray of 1860. I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the ichneumonidae with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars. Darwin's French contemporary, Jean-Henri Fabry, describes similar behavior in a digger wasp, Ammophilia. He said, It is the general rule that larvae possess a center of innervation for each segment. This is so in particular with the gray worm, the sacrificial victim of the hairy Ammophilia. The wasp is acquainted with this anatomical secret. She stabs the caterpillar again and again, from end to end, segment by segment, ganglion by ganglion. Darwin's ichneumonidae, like Fabidae's digger wasps, sting their prey not to kill, but to paralyze, so their larvae can feed on fresh, live meat. Today's third book is Our Towns by James Fallows and Deborah Fallows. I learned a lot while reading this book about the collaborative cultural and environmental work that's going on in many states. An example is the International Sonoran Desert Alliance in Arizona. This is an interesting and educational book, and a thank you to my Uncle Phil for recommending it. The first page of Our Towns. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We arrived in Sioux Falls on our wedding anniversary. That evening, we headed from our motel to the nearby Granite City Brewery. It was an introduction to the reality that we would be able to find brew pubs almost every place we went. Granite City started in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and was at that time spreading across the Plains states. Our anniversary on the summer solstice in June is the longest day of the year. In the long, late night of the Northern Plains on June 21, we watched the sun spread a slanting light over the city's bike path and talked with a group of young women who were out on the town on some sort of celebration. It turned out they were all nursing students, and all from smaller cities around the plains. Did they like Sioux Falls, we asked? Oh, yes. They began telling us in detail. It was growing. It was friendly. Proving their point, they bought us beers when they learned that it was our anniversary. It was big enough to have everything, especially with a growing medical community and small enough to be approachable and easy. It's a big, small town, one of them said, the first but not the last time we heard that. The excitement of the young nurses about the opportunities in the city and their emphasis on the just rightness of Sioux Falls turned out to be no accident. The profound impact of the local circumstances, the farm economy, its position as capital of this part of the prairie, its central location within the continent, were ingredients in the economic strategy that made Sioux Falls work. If you liked listening to this episode, please leave a review and tell me what you think.